today from Romans 12, verses 9 to 21, and pages 1139 onwards in the Pew Bibles. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Sorry about this, I'm new. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But most of his letters, like the letter to the Romans, are where he's not preaching the gospel, he's teaching the gospel. Okay, so he's unpacking it, and it's a theological Everest. So we have a picture to remind us of this. Anybody taking a stroll up there on a day when you've got five minutes to yourself? Um, it's a colossus. It's a massive. The stuff that he's bringing over is absolutely uh, incredible, um, and so. What we did last time uh, I was talking about it was showing you the four base camps uh, that you need to get up Everest. Um, so, and we go again. Oh, other way. <laughs> Don't you love it? There we go. Four base camps that get us to the summit. So, the first one is our sin. <clears throat> Excuse me, our sin. Um, so you see it's at the bottom because we're climbing a mountain now. Where are you going? There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Our sin, God's law. We've got a sinful PowerPoint here. God's law, God's grace, and our faith. Okay, so let's quickly go through them. Next slide, A. Our sin, Paul teaches, all have sinned. Everyone has sinned, whether you're Jewish, Gentile, no matter who you are, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, whatever you are, all 
have sinned. So Houston, we have a problem, and it ain't just floods. B, God's law. So God did something as an interim fix, like a leg splint, to help us to walk in the right ways, to live with him. And in chapter 5, 13, Paul says, the law, what it's for, it's like a schoolmaster to guide us to Christ. Grace. Next one. So God's permanent solution, helping us to discard the splint and to walk unaided, that doesn't mean to ignore the law. We'll get to that. But to help us to walk unaided. For Paul says in chapter 8, what the law, the splint, could not do due to the weakness of human nature, if he took it off, we fell over, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to become a sin offering. So that is shorthand for the permanent fix is what happened in Jesus on the cross. And then, next one. The response from us, which is why I put it in bold and white so it's really clear. Our faith is the response to God's permanent solution. And it's a lifestyle of walking unaided and fulfilling the law. Because the will to do so and the ability to do so is coming not from outside of us in a written code, but from inside of us in a DNA transplant. A changed heart. Sorry, this isn't even on, is it? Are you okay recording that? That's fine. I'll throw this one away. That's fine. Okay. So, Paul says in chapter 5, through Jesus, we gain access by faith into the grace solution, the permanent solution. So you say, how do I access it? Do I become a good person? Do I do good things? Do I just become nice? No. And Paul said of himself, I am the worst of sinners. But he says, no, you access it not by keeping your nose clean and being a good moral upright citizen. You can be all that and still have serious issues and problems. But this we access by faith. That's how we get into the grace in which we stand and in which we walk with him unaided. So that's what's going on in, in the book. Uh, the end result is that God achieves more by grace than he ever did by law. And it works like this. I don't know if I said this to you last time. I thought I forgot. Um, Julia and I used to live in Su Surrey. <laughs> Sorry. Surrey. Um, and you got loads of streets where they didn't like cars going fast. So you had, what, what do you call them in Preston? Sleeping policemen? You know the bumps, speed bumps. 
And it strikes me that the law, if you are a legalistic Christian and you haven't discovered grace yet, you need the signs. You know, 30 miles an hour or 20 miles an hour, there's a school. Yeah? Or on the motorway, 70 miles an hour. Yeah? And there's a blue light flashing in your rear mirror if you overdo it. Yeah? So that's external control. You get it? That's the law. Now, what God does in Jesus, he takes all the signs away. There's not a sign left in Britain. How about that? And what does he do? He puts a policeman sitting next to you in the car. <laughs> get out of that one. If there was a... <laughs> we need some recruitment to the police force here. If there was a policeman for sitting in every passenger seat in this country, not just your wife, but an actual policeman. <laughs> an actual policeman. Do you think the speeding fines would go down? Yes, I do. That is the picture that in Christ, the new solution that gets, gets further than law is grace. And grace is when he comes to sit by his spirit in the passenger seat of your life. <laughs> so the momentum is coming from inside you to behave right. Not somebody saying, you should do that. You've got somebody inside saying, I think you should do that. And we start to be guided by a new way of life. It's called the life of by faith. And public enemy number one is my and your human nature. Because it doesn't drop off immediately. We come to Christ and say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins and come into my life and be the boss. It doesn't just disappear. That's the beginning of the story, not the end. So many Christians think they're finished. No, you're not. You're a work in progress. Get over it. Which is why Christians sometimes behave as they do. And I always used to share notes with Julia because I work among Christians from a day job. She used to work among non-Christians for her day job. And my stories were far more bizarre about human behavior than the people that she worked with. And what Christians will get up to among Christians, you wouldn't believe. The mind games, the emotional blackmail, the inappropriate behavior, and spiritualize it. Public enemy number one is our human nature. I was with J. John at this thing um, one time, and he, he, he said it like this. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Only an evangelist can give it you like that. Is that something? The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And that is why Paul has written this letter. So, 
Paul says in chapter 12, stop being a spiritual baby. A spiritual baby is somebody who said, dear Lord Jesus, please come into my my life and forgive my sins. I want to give my life to you. Please be the boss of my life. That's the beginning. You're a baby, not a finished product. And then we continue to behave like kids. You say, but I've been a Christian for five years. I've been a Christian for six, ten years. You can be a 10-year, you can be a 20-year-old spiritual baby. I'm in lots of churches and meet them all the time. When it's an elder of the church, it gets a bit difficult. Let's not go when it's the minister. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm taking away all the hierarchical expectations about who is or is not mature spiritually. People with dog collars can have issues, just like you. And no one putting your hands and ordaining you can take that fact away. We are all one, says the Apostle Paul himself, excuse me. We are all one in Christ. We are all on a journey of healing. And wholeness. That's what's going on in this book. So Paul says, stop being a spiritual baby in chapter 12, verse 1. Don't conform to society's norm. And society says, you are the center of the universe. And Paul says, but rather be transformed by the renewing or the recalibrating of your mind. That is still going on. And I've often talked to you about Uncle John Stott, who is one of the most beautiful human beings I have ever had the privilege to meet and work with. And he tells a story of when he spoke with his barber in London. He was in the city. And... He explained to his bar- his barber said, um, "Okay, John, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're a Christian. What's a Christian?" So, Uncle John, as I like to call him, out of respect, says, "A Christian is somebody who God has moved from the center of their life to the circumference." <laughs> And when John said it, he said, and so the barber said, oh, I don't think I like the idea of being decentralized. And that's what Jesus is doing as we are recalibrated. Our mind is recalibrated in Jesus. Now, I've got a present for you because it's our anniversary. No, it's not. It is our anniversary, but I do have a present for you. But it's not because of our anniversary. It's because of the topic of this. Oh, shut up, Stephen. Carry on. (laughs) This is going to take some time, and I've only got 10 minutes left. Um, I, Julia and I were at Inskip Bible Convention on Monday. What was it? Bank Holiday Monday. These were on a special promotion. 
and I'm going to read this book to you in three sentences. And the first five people who get down here at the end of the service can have one. We've got four. Right, thank you. The boss says we've got four. Right. We've got four, and um, you're free to take one. With And in doing so, you're promising that when you've read it, you'll pass it on to another member of the congregation. Deal? <laughs> it's by a guy called Tim Keller, who is a New York Times best-selling author, and it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, and that's what it looks like. It's a mirror on the wall. Um, and it goes like this. In the 20th century, the 1900s, People who did antisocial things or behaved in odd ways were thought to have a high self-esteem and they needed to be brought down a peg or two or punished, depending on the misdemeanor. While in the 21st century, people who do antisocial things or behave in odd ways have a low Self-esteem. Ring any bells? And they need affirming. We're into post-modern thinking now. But when I think more of myself than I should, bracket pride, or when I think less of myself than I should, bracket inferiority, Both are evidence that my ego is malfunctioning. Why is it malfunctioning? Because it's empty, it's painful, and it's overactive in trying to compensate for the emptiness by abusive behavior, selfish behavior, addictive behavior, competitive behavior. So a superiority complex and an inferiority complex are both symptoms of my, my sinful human nature. And what Timothy says is the way of Christ... And Paul is saying a loud amen in the background. The way of Christ, the way of grace, is not to think more of myself, nor to think less of myself, but to simply think of myself less. I'll read that one again. Because this is, this is the heart of the book of Galatians, the book of Romans, much of the teaching of the Apostle Paul. I'll read that se last sentence again. The way of Christ is not to think more of myself or less of myself, but it's simply to think of myself less. Which is why Christians are the demographic in this nation who use the NHS less than any other member of society. Why? Because Christianity gives people an outward perspective, out of themselves. Huh? 
and those are government statistics, not mine. People who attend church, sorry, I, I put that on. People who attend a place of worship. So who believe in something bigger than themselves. Okay, moving on. So, Paul says, don't be a spiritual baby. And he describes it further in another, to another group of spiritual babies in Corinth. Thank God for spiritual babies, other we, we wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament. Number, uh, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, by faith, by grace, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, babies. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy, quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere human humans? And then in Galatians, next slide, Galatians chapter 5, he says, the acts of human nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. And you think, whoa, but what about this then? Closer to home and even more painful. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy. This is painful stuff, folks. And for me, well, I come from a totally broken background, childcare from almost year dot, subject to scenes of domestic violence and nearly murder in our own household. I come from the background of the broken. And Jesus is serious about getting inside the driving seat to stop the negative cycle. That's the gospel. Otherwise, a church becomes a club. See what I'm saying? The church is a living spiritual organism where people are being put back together and made ready for heaven. That's why they had Dr. Luke handing out sedatives in the early church. So don't think because there are upsets, and Julia and I are new. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to be in because you don't know the politics. I don't know a church without politics. They say if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll spoil it. One happy customer. That's great. So... Moving on, um, the apostle is saying we've got to become siblings of Jesus. So we, we stop the, the other stuff. We start cooperating with the new DNA of Jesus that came into us when we pray that sinner's prayer and mean it. Lord, please come into my life. Be the boss of my life, and I want to live for you. Please forgive my sins. Yeah? Yeah? That's what it is. You need to say it. Somebody this morning can say that prayer while I'm talking and the penny can drop. Your journey will have begun. 
life has started to incubate in you when you put your faith in Jesus. It's as simple as that. And with that is the DNA of Jesus. That's why people start saying that they see a change in you, that you start to be softer and more caring and, you know, all the stuff that we're not. And it's him that starts to come out. And so um, Paul describes this DNA um, in um, blah, blah. Galatians 5.22. So finishing off what he started earlier, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the good stuff. And against people who have got this, there is no law. Because <laughs> you don't need law. The law was to help us to do it. <laughs> now it's coming out of us. That's why there is no law for people like that. Some of you are looking so depressed about this. <laughs> and then in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love, the DNA of Jesus is patient. We had it at our wedding sweetheart, didn't we? Agnes read it. The love of, of, of Jesus, love is patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking in a postmodern world. Not easy, easily angry, doesn't bear grudges, doesn't delight in evil, rejoices in truth, protects, not stabs in the back, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. That's the DNA of Jesus. You say, I could never do that. No, you can't. That's the point. Open the door, let him sit in the driving seat, and you'll suddenly say, whoa, today I, I was kind. Where did that come from? It came from the indwelling Christ. So when we live like this, um, it's a faith lifestyle, and the apostle is quoting Habakkuk in the Old Testament when he says, the just shall live by faith. And so I said all that, and I'm going to now close. <laughs> I said all that to say this. <laughs> this is the description that Sandra read to us. Okay? Because we start to ask the question, what does it look like when there is a, a lifestyle driven by the D DNA of Jesus? So the next slide says, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the, fir <clears throat> the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we, by following Jesus, are fulfilling the law. Okay? And Paul agrees. He says in uh, Romans 13, 8, love does no harm to a neighbor. So love is the fulfilling of God's law. Duh. <laughs> it's not difficult, is it? It's not rocket science. I have a degree in theology, but I tell you what, the degree in theology is to do with over there. To make this stuff accessible and graspable is, is the gift of teaching, and that's an anointing from God, not out of a theological college. I needed to get that off my chest. <laughs> so, 
How does this look in a church family? And then we're done. Next slide. How does it look in a church family? Okay, here we go. So, next slide. Love, we're now on verse 9 of chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Internally driven forgiveness. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Internally driven emotional intelligence. Eleven, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your f- spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I, <laughs> Andy might appreciate this, I've been banging my head against the challenge of getting the gospel to Muslims for 40 years. <laughs> and I think, how, where did that, uh, what, how? <laughs> I must be mental. And it comes from the indwelling passenger. Twelve, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Consider him who endured abuse from bad people, Hebrews 12. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, internally driven generosity. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, internally driven fortitude. 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn, internally driven empathy. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Internally driven humility. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. Internally driven self-control. If it's possible, live at peace with everyone. I love the scripture. If it's possible. (laughs) Live at peace with everyone. Internally driven relationships. We had a, I don't know, this is probably going on on the website. That's fine. I'll, I'll phrase this carefully. Yesterday in a, a, a business meeting in Belfast, um, I had, I crossed swords with uh, an Asian brother and uh, the Anglo-Saxons were going like this across the table. And... Um, and then they were watching us over the lunch. I could see people looking over their cup of tea. Because <laughs> we were sitting next to each other, having a cuddle and a kiss, and hi, and, um, and we're mates. Okay, this is Christian behavior. Yeah? It's not talking to, to one another afterwards that is the challenge, right? No, we've got to keep short accounts with each other. Uh, and the question is, are we still good? Good question to ask folks in church. Are we still good? Was I harsh? Invariably, when I ask my wife that, the answer is yes. Somebody's got to tell us. Um, On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. He's quoting Proverbs 25, 21. It's internally driven mercy. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, internally driven endurance. And so to close, quote Paul again, love does no harm. The DNA of Jesus does no harm to a neighbor. So love is the fulfilling of the Mosaic law. <laughs> Fantastic, isn't it? It's the story of the Bible. And it's like, yes, at last. That's why the angels went ballistic on that nativity night. Whoa, the final solution is here, you know. <laughs> We're going to change them from the inside. Oh, I'm getting warmed up. I shouldn't. I need to stop. So God bless. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the reality of the simplicity of faith in Jesus. And we ask that if there's anyone here this morning who has not started on this journey, may they say to you this morning, Lord Jesus, I am a rotten so-and-so. I know who I am because I live with myself. Please will you forgive me. Please will you come and sit in the driver's seat next to me. Please will you accept me in your family. 